0: I check your chicken I check your chicken on, Chick-on, chick-on time Salt it down, rub it with lime I check your chicken We are here to consecrate the soul of this dead bird Who gave its life for us So we could check your chicken on, Chick-on, chick-on time I mean, lime salted chicken so good sounds like it could be really good
1: oh well i mean lime salted shrimp is the way to eat shrimp
0: yeah but uh, check your shrimp just no it's missing a syllable
1: yeah it really is it's true just saying
0: check your pork butt pork butt pork butt you are so weird (laughs) (laughs) pork butt's just a funny word (laughs) welcome to the duke and duchess podcast welcome back i'm chad i'm liz and we are here in episode 109 where we will be talking about chapters 53 through 59 of brandon sanderson's oathbringer
1: that's right and on our next book club we'll be covering chapters 60 through 66
0: our spoiler policy is that liz has read the books and gives Insight that is spoiler-free, while I have not read the books, so we do not spoil me, so we will spoil nothing past episode, excuse me, chapter 59 of Oathbringer.
1: So what did you think of this section? It's been a little while since we've recorded.
0: It was a good section. There were some pretty balls-out insane stuff that happens in this section.
1: Yes, indeed. Uh, the
0: interludes are always interesting, if if not perplexing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we kind of start a new section. Weird how we kind of broke it up, but we're at the place now where we just kind of have to break it up where we break it up.
1: Yes, indeed. And we're at about the halfway point of this book, which in most Brandon Sanderson books, the first half is a lot of setup. And now we get to start to watch the dominoes cascade in the last half of the book from what I remember, so.
0: There's a lot of dominoes. Yes,
1: good, so many dominoes.
0: Some of them have letters, some of them have numbers, some of them have glyph words. <laughs> some of them fold in on themselves, but, but, but we're calling them dominoes.
1: And, and I think what we need to remember is the first time you read, you're not gonna get everything. And that's where I sometimes forget with you to just kinda let you enjoy the story versus being like, did he notice this? Did he notice that? Yeah, yeah. The first time I read this book, I didn't notice half of the things that I pick up, you know, on the second time and then the third time. So I'm not saying you're going to read this book four times, but.
0: No, I'm not. <laughs> that's, I mean, I, there's very few books I've ever read four times. That's not a, that's not an indictment of, of Brandon Sanderson.
1: Well, let's get into the chapters.
0: Let's. That was the last of my coffee. Bummer. I know, we're in trouble. Do you want to go? Get no, no, one? we're strapped in now. We're doing this. <laughs>
1: it's okay. That's true. We can't show our faces up there. No, that's right. <laughs> Chapter 53 is called Such a Twisted Cut. Yasna gets caught up with her scholarly network while waiting for Navani's brainiac meeting to begin. Amaram comes in and tries to make nice, but Yasna disses his mama. After Amaram storms off, Renarin makes an amazing discovery. His mama,
0: yo. I know. You ain't got to bring mamas into this. I don't,
1: I don't know what she had against his mom, but she said something dirty about his mom. I
0: know. It was rough.
1: I was blushing.
0: I was actually listening back to episode uh, 108, and I recalled that in the previous section, hmm Shallan had sort of a blow up, you know, defending Renarin mm-hmm. and Yasna sort of came and chastised, gently chastised yeah. her for losing control. Yeah. And then we sort of get to see it here in this in this chapter. So that was interesting.
1: And I liked how after she said what she said to Amram, she looked over and she saw like Shallan just like. Beaming with delight. And she was like, oh, crap. I
0: know, right? <laughs> but let's start at the beginning. Yes. And the beginning is the story of Nan Ket. Nan Ket. Who lived a very Game of Thrones lifestyle.
1: He really did. And I thought it was really relevant for Yasna how, you know, he survived so many assassination attempts only to die because due to his own isolation. And for Yasna, we especially are seeing her paranoia after living her whole life being the only person with this terrible secret. And all of these people have been trying to kill her for decades. And now that that's not necessarily the case anymore, she can't really let go of that, the paranoia and the things that she used to do. We see that she's like crammed herself in a little one of the little most in, inner chambers. She stuffs the vents so that nobody could crawl in through the vents. So I think that's going to be a... a Uh, an important character development point from here on.
0: Thank you for shedding light on that because my note for this story is why is this here? Because I was focused less on the fact that he died in isolation and more the fact that he killed his entire family, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm, and she, she brings up fighting between Elokar and Dalinar Mm -hmm. and uh, things of that nature. But I'm like, I'm focused so much on that aspect of it that I'm, Not looking at the isolation factor. Mm -hmm. So I'm focused on that and saying, like, what is he trying to tell us about Elikar and Adolin? Like, what is he? What is he trying to tell us? You know, but that sheds light on it. So thank you.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can only be so paranoid, you have to trust someone. And I think that's something that Yasna is really going to wrestle with.
0: My next note is Salinar sent expeditions down the tunnel the unmade had used to flee. The scouts reported a long network of caverns. Following a stream of water, they marched for days and eventually located an exit into the mountain foothills of Tufalia. For days? <laughs> days, damn. I get claustrophobic just reading that passage. That is a
1: long time to be in a tunnel.
0: Walk in a tunnel for
1: days? Mm-hmm.
0: It's terrifying.
1: Yeah, you couldn't pay me enough to be that scout. Mm. The quote I had written down from this little part is, turns out the end of the world had to actually arrive before people would take it seriously. Yeah.
0: <laughs> a little.
1: I mean, she's not wrong.
0: No, no, she's not.
1: <laughs> I also noted how her writing stand, just all these little points about Yasna's character, her writing stand is specifically set up so she can watch the entire room while still having her back to the wall.
0: Yep, mm-hmm.
1: And all the earlier books, the portrayals of Yasna were mostly done from Shallan's point of view, and she was just this impenetrable figure, no flaws. Yasna Colleen is flawless.
0: Chiseled out of marble.
1: She's got two Fendi purses and a silver Lexus. (laughs) One time she punched me in the face. It was awesome. (laughs)
0: Did you watch Mean Girls recently? I
1: watched Mean Girls recently. Sorry. Fair warning. Uh, but now we get to sort of see the cracks in that facade. So I think that's kind of neat.
0: So she, she has her little chat with her friends via, via Snapchat. Snap. Snap. Snap read. Snap read. Yeah. <laughs> what is it called? It's re, uh...
1: span reads. Now you can't is remember the a... real word. Span
0: chat. Span chat. <laughs> <Span-chat. laughs> spanner anyway (laughs) not important (laughs) this is my interpretation of the conversation uh that she had with her friends oh nice we found one of the heralds shut up you bitch you don't have a herald who you calling bitch bitch i'm calling you bitch now get me a donut
1: (laughs) that was exactly what happened
0: because she, you know, I mean, they give her a little bit of information, but uh-huh. really they're kind of irrelevant, right? And they're just being catty and ridiculous in the background.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And she's the only one who actually is bringing anything, right? You know, to the picture. So they're just sort of like the reality TV show, like neighbor that comes over mm-hmm. every once in a while and does something ridiculous mm-hmm. to spice things up, and mm-hmm. then leaves and doesn't have any impact on it. Mm-hmm.
1: But I think it also adds depth to Yasna's character to watch her interact with friends. It it humanizes her for me.
0: That's true. Yeah.
1: To see her kind of like, oh, she's got relationships. She's got friendships in her network. She's again, not just this this marble statue that we've kind of built her up to be yeah, in but, previous books.
0: But she has friendships in the way that like a teenager has like chatty, like Instagram friendships with somebody in California that's mm-hmm. that she's never they're not exactly. there's no depth to it.
1: Exactly. We also find out that Yasna is keeping an eye on Renarin and that she is worried about him because he's been talking to those storm wardens. Mm. Now, everyone knows those guys are shady. Dirty, dirty. Shady AF.
0: He got resting storm warden face.
1: And that he's in particular asking them about predicting the future. Now we know that Renarin is a truth watcher. We don't know exactly what he does other than he sees. But we think he's he has some kind of... Of prescient ability, which, as we know, is extremely taboo in this culture. Uh, we also notice that Yasna's associates uh, have seen and spotted Axie's the Collector, who is, you mm-hmm. know, one of our faves. Absolutely, favorite Amian. And we also see Renarin mumbling to himself. You know, it's coming from here, somewhere in this room. So you know, something's going to, to happen. I, I'm later. sorry,
0: I just, I just put something together. Oh, what? Uh, so Axies the Collector is an Amian. Yes. Uh, those are the same, uh, is that the same thing we saw as, I mean, I know Axies the Collector is weird and can mm-hmm. make himself blue and all mm-hmm. kinds of weird, crazy stuff. Is that the same uh, person we saw in Edge Dancer who's made out of all the little bugs?
1: Yes, not necessarily. They're both Amiens. I don't know if they're the same, if all Amiens are exactly the same or have the same abilities amia is a a continent i guess that was destroyed
0: well that's where the i mean i'm jumping ahead Mm -hmm. but it's it's it just the realization of all this just hit Mm -hmm. me so bear with me as i go slightly off script here for a second that's where uh the interlude Mm -hmm. four happens the boat they're going out to try to go there right yes okay all right that makes sorry suddenly had a bunch of threads yeah connected
1: yeah sorry i love it when that happens
0: back to chapter 53
1: Oh, oh, another thing uh, that I noted was she was asking about the, the spren of the Truth Watchers, which is what Renarin is. And she's told that they look like light reflecting through something crystalline. And we've seen that somewhere else. Oh, okay. In Edge Dancer, The Stump... Well, at, the, at the very end, mm. that's the, the radiant that Lyft saves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Lyft is describing what a Spren is. And she said, could it look like light reflecting off of a mirror? And we also know that the stump had healing abilities, which is one that Renarin has. So I think it's fair to assume that the stump is another Truth Watcher that we've seen.
0: Well, that kills my tinfoil hat prediction for the end. Of, Darn, <laughs> at the end of the episode.
1: But I just noted down that, okay, we've seen two Truth Watchers that we know of and both have something about them that makes them sort of immediately unlikable to most people. Mm -hmm. The stump is just a crusty old bee who, even though she's saving and healing children, she's super mean to them. Nobody likes her. Mm -hmm. And then Renarin has this, this thing about him that most people, the first time they meet him, think that's a weird dude. I'm, I'm not comfortable with him.
0: So I thought that was, it makes sense. if, If, if you're going to have people who can, for whatever reason, sort of see through things and see through uh, societal issues and, and kind of get to the truth of things, it, it wouldn't be shocking that they would be people who would be marginalized outsiders.
1: That is a very good point. That is a very good point. So then Amaram comes in and he's all, hey, baby, mm. heard you weren't dead.
0: Here's my interpretation of the conversation. Yes. Yasna, why are you being such a bitch? Your mom's a bitch. Why you gotta bring mamas into this? Because you're a little bitch boy, that's why. <laughs> I never liked you anyway. <laughs> Runs away crying. That
1: was very accurate as well.
0: It's <laughs> my 10 second reenactment.
1: This was so like 80% of the Twitter DM conversations ever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, you're ugly anyway. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I wasn't here for you.
1: Amaram is that Twitter dude, mm. for sure.
0: I came here just for the talu.
1: <laughs> so, wh- one thing I wrote down about that, other than Yasna disses Amaram's mama, but also how ready she is to assassinate him. Like, in her brain, oh, yeah, yeah. she's like okay, I'm gonna need to talk to my uncle about him and we're gonna need to distract him somehow or I'll have to kill him. Eh, We'll see how that pans out.
0: Also right on the spot. She's like, you know, he he threatens to summon his shard blade, and she's like, please God, do it.
1: Right, yeah, exactly. It'd be so much easier if I could just kill you right now. I feel you, Yasna. I feel it. So then we have Renarin's discovery.
0: So Renarin, walking around with his truth watcher powers, discovers where all the ancient sex toys are hidden.
1: <laughs> Why is this gem so long and twisty?
0: It's kind of bumpy.
1: Kind of vibrates. Oh, Wait a I minute! Mean... Is it like
0: I... whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Why is it jumping out of my hands?
1: Why? and no, I cannot. Yeah. yeah. Right. (laughs) I cannot
0: unsee that now. Of course, you can't unsee it. (laughs) But they, but listen, they don't just vibrate; they vibrate in a pattern. Mm -hmm. So uh, the quote is: "The library had decayed, but the ancient radiance had obviously anticipated that they'd found another way to pass on their knowledge." And I'm thinking, what? Like they turn these things on, they vibrate, and someone's like, "It's an alphabet." And then they immediately make the assumption that these people have left a way to encode all their secret history in these gemstones. And I'm like, how do you get to this assumption so quickly? It seems very Saturday morning cartoon for me.
1: Well, except for the fact that Renarin is the one who makes the connection. And we know that he has supernatural powers of intuition.
0: Well, and Shalon. So Renard yes. and Chelan together. But. And
1: and they are both the only ones who were able to sense the midnight mother at the bottom of the tower.
0: True. I guess my problem with it, I mean, this is a super nitpicky point. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not I'm not trying to tell I have any.
1: something ready to throw at you. Okay, good,
0: good, good. All right. Then I, I shall proceed. Is it's very much a telling, not showing. Right. Sort, sort of thing. You know, it's like, I'm sure that they're right. I'm sure that's what it's going to be, mm-hmm. but they haven't let me come to that realization or giving me any chance to kind of enjoy in the mystery. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's like these ancient vibrators are alphabets, you know, inside them. They've encoded all the secret language. Just, just hover over it. Put your hips down. (laughs) Roll your back a little bit there. See, that's a Y.
1: I mean, I will definitely concede your point. I would just say that I think that's, that's just something that kind of has to be sacrificed when you have a story this size. When it's this sprawling and you have so many threads, sometimes you just need to, if this is kind of a small thing, you need to just put it out there rather than, you know, take a chapter or two to, to let the reader figure out what's going on with every single little thread or point. Sometimes you just have to move the story along.
0: Well, yeah, it's it's not a serious point. So right. let's let's move the podcast along.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So and then we see where the the title of this chapter is such a twisted cut, which I thought was a nice little kind of double meaning because we mm-hmm. have these gems who are and Yasna says, Why would anyone spoil a gem with such a twisted cut? We also had the twisted cut that she gave to Amaram.
0: I'll cut you, bitch.
1: Herbal cut as you were. Chapter 54 is called An Ancient Singer's Name. Moash and his fellow slaves prepare for their forced attack on the city. He's struggling with the fact that the fused are mistreating their fellows. Sa and the others believe that they were set up to fall. After talking to one of the fused in charge, Moash decides to train his fellow slaves in combat to give them a chance at survival.
0: I thought the most fascinating part of this chapter was the realization that the Parshendi have the same accent as all of the different Rosharans, depending upon where they come from. Mm -hmm. So they all come together. They look the same. They're all listeners, but they've come from all over Roshar, so they Mm -hmm. all have all these different accents. So that means a conversation that we had might sound something like this. I'm just saying... How's this any better? We were slaves under the Alethi, now we slaves under the Fused. Chill, bra. you'll get us in trouble talking like that. And then Moash comes around. I need to speak to someone who's in charge. He goes up to one of the Fused, and they said, Hey, uh, yous need nothing but what we give you. But uh, Lady Leshwi, she seems to have uh, taken a shine to you, so up you go. Then Moash is up there with Lady Leshly. Your name is one of our names. How long has it drifted upon the sands of time? Now go and bring me a brockwurst. What I'm saying is it's a melting pot.
1: That was brilliant. Thank you.
0: <laughs> the only reason I do any of this is just to make you laugh.
1: Uh, and it's working. So. It is working.
0: <laughs> are these the most metal-looking Parshendi ever? They are.
1: I mean, they have go-go gadget arms. Right?
0: I mean... You know, just unnecessary spikes flowing off their huge shoulder pads. And then Leshwe floating above in a 15-foot-long red robe <laughs> straight out of, like, a Jodorowsky film.
1: It's a ama- It's
0: an amazing visual. Like, she's just sitting there in yeah. a long robe. Yeah. Just sitting there, 5,000 feet above the earth. Flutes up there. I'm just sitting here looking fabulous. <laughs> it's... Bring me a bratwurst. <laughs> We don't have a lot of dining options up here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you'd been reincarnated like 87 times over 5,000 years, like you'd get bored with the regular wardrobe <laughs> options as well. I mean, I-, I guess I would absolutely rock a 30 foot red robe <laughs> if I could.
0: Seems impractical.
1: So, and again, we highlight how many of the fused are completely detached from reality. Uh, Leshwe says that she's in charge because she's one of the ones who is sane. And we see a couple of them who just mm-hmm. who just kind of sit there and like stare off into space or giggle at nothing. So that's kind of terrifying.
0: I think they took a lot of acid and watched a Jodorowsky film.
1: That's probably what happened. <laughs> I also noted how there were no windspren around the fused mm. who were flying. Which is unusual, but we also know that Wind Spren are closely related to honor spren, who, mm-hmm. you know. So that that was a, a neat detail. Also this this voice this voice in Moash's head telling him to let go of his pain and responsibility. And that seems to be Moash is on this journey right now of uh, of is he gonna take responsibility for the things that he did? Um, and, he, and he seems like with every step he's choosing not to. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's like, is this a redemption journey? Is it, um, is it something else? Is he, is it a heel turn? Like what, what's going on with this character? Yeah. But then finding out that he has a listener name. And then at the end of the chapter, Leshwee tells him why they're fighting. Now we don't get to hear it, Yeah, correct. But yeah. she apparently tells him the, the big secret that's kind of being teased is what is this conflict all about? What caused the recreants? Listen, know. we can't
0: tell you in the first three thousand pages.
1: I mean, we are only forty-eight percent of the way through the book. This is for like eighty-seven percent of the way I mean, through the book. Then I'm thinking you get this to find
0: series, out. like oh, right. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> we're gonna
0: find out three quarters of the way through book four. <laughs> also, she says, and this is this will be more important later. This is a new body offered to me in sacrifice. She explains that. Right. This I'm the one you killed earlier. Oh yes, yeah. yes. And he's like, "Oh my God! What? That's crazy! This is a new body offered to me in sacrifice." Lesh, we said to bond and make my own, as I have none. And then he says, "You're some kind of Spren." To which she blinked, but did not reply. Mm-hmm. And I thought, "They're made of Parshendi. <laughs> They're made of Parshendi." <laughs>
1: Well, and we get to see the, the sacrifice, the, the procedure of the bodies being sacrificed later. to the fused later, and yeah. we realize that they're not entirely voluntary. No. The volunteers are not being told in advance what is going to happen. No. This is very much a I got some candy in my van type scenario <laughs> here. <laughs>
0: That's one way to put it, yeah.
1: Chapter 55 is called Alone Together. Relaine is having a hard time finding his place in Bridge 4 and dealing with the fact that he may very well be the last of his people. His squad mates are running around like idiots as usual, stuck in mate form and worrying about how Renarin is mucking around with the scholars. Rock points out to the squad that they may all feel alone, but maybe they can be alone together. Kaladin takes the time to allow Relaine to express himself. So, I really like how Brandon Sanderson here addresses the the human tendency to assume that we know how someone else is feeling. And especially when we see someone in pain or suffering, the first thing we wanna say is, I know just how you're feeling. When that's not always necessarily the right thing to do. You know, as humans, we like to categorize people. We like to categorize feelings. We like to, to find the similarities between ourselves and others. But sometimes the most helpful thing you can say to someone is, I don't know what you're going through. Um, will you explain it to me? And or so I'm here to listen. Or I'm or here to like listen it. to you. I thought that was pretty neat.
0: My question going into this chapter is what would Relaine's accent be?
1: <laughs> of course.
0: <laughs> Nobody likes me everybody hates <laughs> me think I'll eat some worms. <laughs> it says the quote that I that I wrote down here is How could Relaine be so fond of these men and yet at the same time want to slap them? Which is how I suppose all of our listeners feel about this podcast right now. (laughs) In my brain, uh, Relaine is played by Cleavon Little as the Sheriff of Rock Ridge.
1: I'm shaking my head and I don't know what you're talking about. Because
0: you've never watched Blazing Saddles?
1: I watched it a very long time ago. That's all right. you have Blazing Saddles I have Mean Girls
0: yeah but I've actually watched Mean Girls
1: I've watched Blazing Saddles okay all right in college when I was not terribly sober but (laughs) I mean we can fight
0: I I mean I'll come
1: out from behind this microphone
0: (laughs) I mean we left a good space here in the middle for (laughs) there's room to roll is what I'm saying (laughs)
1: That's for the other podcast. So I noted the the difference when Relaine is thinking about the listeners, um, the Parshmen, and what Lady Leshwe refers to them as the singers. Mm-hmm. So the fact that all Parshendi are not well, and Parshendi is the Alethi word for these people, but mm-hmm. the difference between Relaine's people who made a deliberate choice to run away from their ancestors, who were you know possessing them and, you know, forcing them to throw themselves into this battle. And they call themselves the listeners versus the original name of the people, I guess, were the Singers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of a cool explanation.
0: I get, my, I get my fantasy world starting to get mixed up here because the Singers is a, a name yes. for multiple different people and different...
1: Yes. Yep.
0: Different uh, fandoms.
1: These are the ones who float in the air and wear 50foot red robes
0: I mean they are the best looking of the singers right I mean I mean they what a what a cherubic choir they would make <laughs> I noted that Leighton and Lopin have the most obvious conversation in the world mm-hmm when you's up there, it's like the world is bigger and smaller at the same time. <laughs> yeah, man. It's like it's huge, but it's like everything seems closer at the same time. <laughs> like farther away and yet closer at the same time. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much the conversation we have. I'm not sure which one's. Uh, Lopin and which one's Layton?
1: I don't know, but they're pretty good.
0: I, I wrote down my names for these characters as Mongo and Pee Wee mm-hmm. so I could remember, I could remind myself which one to be.
1: That was pretty funny.
0: I'm Mongo and I'm Pee So Bridge Four is very concerned about Renarin. He's been reading, reading,
1: reading, yeah.
0: Next thing you know, he's going to want to vote or have pockets. <laughs> we can't let men have pockets this is ridiculous and that leads into a very long very woke conversation amongst bridge four
1: i actually drew the eye roll emoji <laughs> in my notes because i had no other words to express
0: <laughs> at what point now i'm very interested
1: the part about Drehe being extra manly oh, that was my note as well <laughs>
0: Him liking men makes him extra manly. <laughs> but he's extra manly. I'm thinking, this is the kind of hard-hitting LGTB writing that the, that the LGTB community can get behind.
1: Not that we can speak for them. No, we can't. We can't. It does seem a little, like, deliberately, but good for him. The thing, the main thing I took away from this chapter is how Relaine is just utterly marginalized and how it's Mm, really kind of about you know how do you treat someone who is so utterly marginalized and do you kind of you know just interesting his react his interactions with his squad mates how they they accept him but they also don't know quite how to accept him Um, he's still a little bit on the outside but the fact that they're trying makes a difference
0: well I, I mean I know we sort of throw away the Drahey comment in you know in our mm-hmm. our hand drawn eye roll emoji uh, <laughs> but but it is sort of an illuminating aside albeit somewhat weird because as you said relane is marginalized in every way right in every way and we know here in our own society that people who are homosexual have been marginalized and mistreated to an extremely high degree. So, you know, I think Brandon Sanderson is trying to, to show that, like, even in comparison to some to that sort of thing, he is far, far, far more, more marginalized than Drehi. Mm-hmm. But it's also interesting because it's not like we don't see this society being— highly stratified and have tons of loaded judgment mm-hmm. and all kinds of other weird things. Hence the whole reading conversation. Mm-hmm. You can't read. You got a penis. Mm-hmm. You know, like what does that have to do with anything? But uh, these are sort of these loaded things that come from generation after generation after generation of built in bias and judgment. Uh, and yet the the thing about Dre, he seems to be like something That's just sort of novel, that's like Mm -hmm. almost never encountered. Mm -hmm. And that's strange, you know, for a society that wants women to cover their left hand because of something that happened 4,000 years ago, you know, and doesn't allow women to read or men to play musical instruments. But to have uh, that, something that dramatic, have no real significant predecessor that everybody is just sort of like. Uh, whatever like is a is a strange thing. I don't know that it means anything but it is but it is a little bit weird that it's treated with that just degree of flippancy
1: well I think that is what makes fantasy and sci-fi as a genre so important because it gives a writer the unique ability to turn things on their head like that and I think one of the main Things that Brandon Sanderson wanted to explore in this series is how we come up with these arbitrary gender roles, um, these arbitrary ideas about you know race and sex as a society, and they become ingrained in us. And here, because of this genre, he is able to say, "Well, what about what if on an alien world?" You know, we decided that the, the left hand is the immodest thing, the thing that women must cover, you know, and how how strange to an outsider that seems. But it also forces us to take a look at what we decide, you know, um, it, the women can't breastfeed in restaurants, you know, mm-hmm. in certain cultures, yeah. you know, it just it all is kind of this very this very arbitrary thing. And it makes us look at ourselves in a different way. So I would say, especially Relaine's comments in this chapter about um, skin patterns and how the Alethi don't care about skin tone, it's all about eye color, Mm -hmm. Um, whereas the, you know, the Parshendi, the skin patterns have some significance to them. Mm -hmm. And that just seems a very deliberate commentary on, you know, on planet Earth. We know, we've decided skin tone matters, you know, but eye color doesn't. Yeah. So again, I just think that that's, seems to me that, that that is one of the main points that Brandon Sanderson wanted to make in even designing this world and these societal structures.
0: And I like that. I like that it's a demonstration of how arbitrary these things we put so much weight and emotional baggage behind, how arbitrary they really can be, or mm-hmm. should be. But reading, that's just wrong.
1: That's wrong.
0: It's wrong, man. Layton said softly, I still have nightmares. About what we saw in the bowels of Urethiru. I'm like, yeah, man, you ain't supposed to be looking into the bowels of anything. <laughs> you should be having nightmares, creep. If bowels are involved,
1: you generally want to close your just, eyes.
0: Just look away.
1: <laughs> Find something else to do.
0: You should put a glove over that.
1: <laughs> so I thought we would look at chapters 56 and 57 together. That works for me. Because um, they're kind of one narrative, which is...
0: 58 and 59 are kind of the yeah, same. Yeah, we'll way, do the too. same thing yeah. with that as well. That works for me.
1: Okay, so chapter 56 is called Always Be With You, and chapter 57 is called Passion.
0: And also with you.
1: Okay. Dalinar brings Navani and Yasna into a vision of the recreants. Gox, the Emperor, joins them. The vision seems to get to him in a way that the others didn't. Dalinar is filled with hope as he waits for the vision to end. But instead of ending, he's visited by a kindly old man dressed in white and gold who calls himself Odium. Bum, bum, bum. Then Dalinar is like, oh shit. And the Stormfather runs away crying. Then Odium is all like, free me, dog. And Dalinar is all like, how about I kick your ass instead? And Odium is all like, how about I transform into the living embodiment of all human emotion and scare the crap out of you? And then Dalinar passes out, and it was awesome. <laughs> But on the plus side, <laughs> Lyft decides that she's going to be on Dalinar's side now.
0: That's the best chapter summary I've ever heard. Thank you. That's phenomenal. <laughs> so 56 starts out with uh, Yasna talking about the false desolation. Right. The false desolation, Dalinar looks at at Yasna. Navani looks at Yasna. I look at Brandon Sanderson. How'd <laughs> you take 3,000 pages to tell me this, Pete? <laughs> There's a false <laughs> desolation? Now you bring this shit up? <laughs> Ain't got no sugar? Got Kool-Aid, no sugar? <laughs> it rests on, quote, the claim that some Voidbringers survived How however you say that, and there are many clashes with them afterward. It's considered unreliable, but that's because many later artists insist that no Voidbringers could have survived. I'm inclined to assume that this is a clash with Parchman before they were somehow deprived of their ability to change forms. An interesting note.
1: Yes, it is.
0: I think, but this is all about the events leading to the recreants. And I feel like we're getting a lot of like false teases and red herrings about Mm -hmm. what led to the recreants. Yes. Like there were some there were some uh, Parshendi who survived in pockets and they raised up and now we had to go fight a little false desolation with them. And then later it's, well, they got too big for the britches and they had infighting and they said, oh, screw it all. We'll just throw our shards away. And none of that seems, I don't think any of that's real.
1: Well, I think also what we have going on here is this idea of how we try to reframe history sometimes based on what we think happened. So you had the the heralds who said oh guess what we won yay you're yeah, yeah. you're all safe forever okay <laughs> and then they go off and so people are like oh okay then we won so but they hadn't won the 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 void bringers were all still out there doing stuff but they because the heralds had said they won then they said well this can't be a desolation this must just be like a, a false desolation yeah. this is not it's not it's not a real so, like, all of history gets reframed based on this one lie that was told.
0: Well, the other thing is, I think, how they filter it through their own sort of cultural lens. Right. Because a couple of sentences later, uh, Dalinar says, War was war, but this this was something you never saw. Men willingly giving up their shards? Except in this story, we've seen Moash and Kaladin both willingly give up their shards. Because from a non-light-eyed Alethi perspective... Right. It's not nearly as sacrilegious or insane, you know, as the people who survived to write the story. Right.
1: We get a lot of information from Odium once he shows up.
0: He says, they call me Odium. Miss Jackson, if you're nasty.
1: (laughs) I like that Odium is, you know, at at the outset, he is very... um, comes off as as beneficent that's right he's able to look beneficent and so that's how you know he is like super evil yeah. right
0: <laughs> well and the care that he takes with his image mm-hmm. so odium who is clearly played by max von Sydow, <laughs> shows up in his you know peppered white beard perfectly mm-hmm. coiffed with his gold scepter mm-hmm. in his hand perfectly you know virginal white robes what do you know of us three dalinar says Honestly, I wasn't even aware there were three of you. (laughs) And then Odium says more, in fact, but only three of relevance to you. Me, honor, cultivation.
1: And then he says, "I'll, I'll kill the other one too eventually. But she's hidden and Odium is shackled. So all kinds of stuff that Dalinar didn't ask for. I know. Odium is just bad guy monologuing right off the bat.
0: Well, and I'm glad he points it out and what we have to consider as well is I'm sure a ch- a good chunk of what he's saying is 100% factually accurate, but mm-hmm. you absolutely can't take any of it mm-hmm. with any degree of seriousness mm-hmm. because he's the bad guy.
1: Yeah. And so Dalinar is like, can't you just go away? Yeah. <laughs> And Odium says, is that an offer to release me from my bonds? And Dalinar's like, no.
0: This seems like very specific language that I (laughs) don't have any foreknowledge of.
1: He says he will leave if Dalinar releases him by intent. But if he does that, he's gonna kill a whole lot of people.
0: Well, and also it's intent with a capital I, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Do you release me by intent? Yeah. So again, speaking to some sort of like ancient hidden thing for which we have no context
1: Mm -hmm. he also compares himself to Dalinar and he compares um, himself taking over the Cosmere with Dalinar taking control of Alethkar he's like basically we're the same
0: you me this chicken biscuit over here
1: I'm the only one who cares about you baby
0: (laughs) (laughs) only I understand only I care Dalinar, if you could see the result of Honor's influence, you would not be so quick to eat this chicken biscuit. That's my chicken biscuit. And I am a jealous, jealous man. (laughs) Separate the emotion from men, and you have creatures like Nail and his skybreakers. Mm -hmm. That is what Honor would have given you. Mm. Well, and and all this is, is very interesting because... We see truth in what he says about mm-hmm. honor. So he goes to this, you know, honor is only about, you know, holding a bond and keeping to it without mm-hmm. any regard to whether it makes mm-hmm. any sense. And we see that. We see that hold out mm-hmm. in these, you know, we see it with Kaladin and his relationship with Syl. Mm-hmm. You just have, you have to say the words and make the bond. And when when you betray the bond, your powers go away. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. If it's good or bad, it's simply that you said it. Right. Now, the bonds are sort of designed with good intention, Mm -hmm. but they're not necessarily applied with a good intention. Right. So we see truth in what he's saying. We don't know much about cultivation. We know a little about cultivation, but what he says is growth. It can be good or bad for all she cares. The pain of men is nothing to her. -hmm. I mean, we sort of can see that in our own life, Mm -hmm. you know, that growth, in and of itself, is not necessarily a worthy thing. Mm -hmm. But the point being that all that all of them have this very limited, narrow, imperfect, absolute characteristic to them. Mm -hmm. They're elemental, Mm -hmm. you know, they're fire, they're wind, or in this case, it's growth and honor. And passion mm-hmm. without reg- without any temperance of any of the other sort of characteristics. Mm-hmm. You know, which is starting to allow me to kind of see more of the picture mm-hmm. of the Cosmere and what's going on mm-hmm. here. So I'm starting to get a sense of like what some of these terms like shard mm-hmm. might actually mean. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. And Odium also notes that he's not going to be able to leave the splinters alive like he thought he would splinter capital S
0: again. Yeah. More new terminology for you. 2,700 pages into your, your light casual story.
1: So we, we noted that he is, he seems to be, he killed, we know that he killed honor. His plan is to kill cultivation. And he said that once he's released, he's going to go out and go after cultivation and others as well, that he's going to completely change this world and others as well.
0: Um, and I think what he means in terms of being able to be released is that he's in some way bound, I suspect, to the planet. Yes. Um, but it's sort of interesting that you can be bound to a planet and some little Kremling of a human can release you from that bond. Mm-hmm. Like, seems like a flaw in the security system.
1: Well, I think what's important about Dalinar is that Dalinar is imbued with honor's power. He's bonded to a spren that holds the last kind of fragment of honor. And that, it seems like, Odium and Honor had a big showdown and Odium won. Honor is the one who bound him probably in his last act.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: If Honor's the one that bound him, then, you know, this this bondsmith who is... Um,
0: Speaking sort of like... Yes. The he, highest He might ranking. be the only
1: person who can <laughs> free him. So it, for me, this says that we've only kind of seen a hint of Dalinar's powers at this point.
0: So he also says in here the cultivation equals the night watcher, which right. I think we'd already suspected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is just kind of a yeah. confirmation. And then we have our sort of, you know, Dalinar looking into the great void, mm-hmm. you know, thing. And then afterwards, he sort of comes back out of it and he says, you know, Dalinar looked at it baffled, and then up at the old man. In Odium's eyes, he could see that violet black fire deep, deep within, like a Tears for Fears video on MTV. <laughs>
1: I also liked how—I don't know if I liked, but it's interesting how so far this whole thing has been—in the very beginning, Honor's plan was, okay, so you the the only chance you have is that you might be able to get him to agree to a contest of champions, and then he (laughs) would be— bound by whatever the result of that contact is but that's the only thing i can think of that will save your asses and so it's been kind of leading up to dalinar finally meeting odium and he's like how about a contest of champions and odium's like no no i don't think so <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's right kind of like yeah well shit
0: <laughs> yeah right he's like yeah i don't think that makes mm-hmm. any sense for me
1: <laughs> exactly
0: <laughs> why would I do this
1: why would i do that
0: smell this but do not inhale <laughs> right, <laughs> <laughs> what you do not smell is iocane powder.
1: I also liked how he f- he, like all the best bad guys, tries to flip Dalinar's perspective on kind of everything he knows, um, but in particular the recreants and you know this thing that is considered one of the worst things that's ever happened in human history. You know he's doing this whole like Holocaust denier thing <laughs> where he's like, no, it actually wasn't a bad thing. It was actually, you know, caused by their passion.
0: We got the Volkswagen. We right. got the highway system. <laughs> well, it's also a, um, it's also very much a Emperor and Luke Skywalker sort of right. scenario, right? Like, feel your hatred, young Master Skywalker. Right.
1: right. So, odium is the the embodiment of not just hatred and odium, but but of all passionate feelings. He seems to have latched onto the bad ones though. Well then Lift shows up. So we kind of end on a positive note because for Dalinar, his the last kind of, of holdout that he's trying to to convince is the, the the Azish Emperor, which would be a huge win for him if he could get him on his side. And we know that Lyft is kind of steering Gox a little bit. And mm-hmm. Gox tells him, Well, Lift doesn't trust you because you have a nice ass, as we know. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Old men should not have nice asses.
1: But we find that Lyft has been watching the whole conversation uh, and that she is able to slip even under Odium's nose.
0: At one point, he's like, did you hear that? Right. What was that? Mm, Nothing, nothing. nothing, Nothing. Never (laughs) mind, never mind, never mind. mind.
1: (laughs) So Lyft watches this conversation and and she comes to Dalinar and says, well, I might not trust you, but I think I trust him even less.
0: Yeah, I mean, you might be a creepy old man, but... He is the personification of all evil.
1: (laughs) So there's a little bit of hope there. Moving on to the interludes. That's right. Trucking along.
0: It's interlude time.
1: Interlude four is called Kaza. Kaza is traveling to the ancient Amian island of Akina in search of a cure for her unfortunate condition. She is slowly turning to smoke due to years of work as a soul caster. The island is protected, however, and neither Kaza nor any of the sailors who accompanied her survive. So we get a look at the Soulcasters. These have been mentioned throughout the entire series, but they're people who are completely shrouded in secrecy. They um, Anytime that the Soulcasters are doing any work... They are, you know, hidden by tents. They're completely covered in robes. And we kind of find out why. And we've heard this mentioned before. We kind Mm -hmm. of knew this. But now we get a real look at what it means to be a soulcaster, who are the absolute backbone of Alethi society and the Alethi war machine.
0: Which is why it's so interesting that we hear so little about them.
1: But but now we kind of find out why they are so shrouded in secrecy. Because using a soulcaster, using one of these fabrials, Destroys you. It it makes you turn into whatever it is you are soul casting. Mm, I know. In Kaza's case, it is it is smoke, and it's very gruesome.
0: It is quite gruesome. She says it says Kaza was slowly becoming smoke, and I'm like, that happened to a kid I knew in college. <laughs> One of the sailors comes up to her and he says, "Does does it hurt?" She says. It is blissful. I slowly connect to the device and through it to Roshar. Until the day it will take me fully into its embrace. She lifted a hand and pulled her black glove off, one finger at a time. She turned it, palm towards him. I could show you. Feel my touch and you can know. One moment, and then you can mingle with the air itself. I own this head shop. (laughs) And he fled.
1: So they're traveling to Akina, the Rock of Secrets, the Void's Playground, an island literally surrounded by giant forbidding stone knives thrusting out of the water, making it completely possible even for a rowboat to get by. Like, I don't know how dumb you have to be. This is literally a horror movie. We said keep out. I'm going to look in the basement of this abandoned barn in the middle of the night when my cell phone is dead.
0: Somebody has cut the phone lines.
1: I don't know what is going on, but I'm just going to walk by myself.
0: Maybe I'll bring my boyfriend and we can make out. (laughs) Nothing bad could ever happen here.
1: But you know, one doesn't simply sail into
0: Amia. One does not.
1: (laughs) But Kaza has a pretty good reason. Because this is the island where uh, she has heard the Soulcasters actually came from. So if there's any place where she is going to figure out how to cure her condition, it's going to be here.
0: It's sort of interesting that all the soul casters they have, nobody else has tried to do this. Or uh, that we know of, obviously.
1: Well, or they all were killed because it turns out the island is guarded by more than just giant stone knives sticking out of the water.
0: Yes, as we find out in the chat. I had to reread this one a few times. This one was mm-hmm. very confusing. That's where I had my sort of uh, revelatory moment early where I had to kind of take it aside and say, oh, okay, so. Uh, the cook on the ship is like Axie's the collector, or that dude in Edge. Dancer. The dude like, in Edge
1: dancer, yeah.
0: Like I, I, was having a hard time putting it all together.
1: Right. So we get the sense that that you know Amia was destroyed. The Amians kind of scattered, uh, but they this one in particular is still guarding this island.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
1: as Kaza and the sailors approach the island, they start collapsing. Kaza is the only one who actually makes it on shore. Yeah, yeah. But then she quickly collapses.
0: Well the note I had when we first meet the cook, it says the cook was a woman, Reshi, by the look of her, with tattoos all over her face. And Mm -hmm. I said, You're playing with fire, man. You can't eat food cooked by a woman with tattoos on her face. That's like (laughs) that's like lesson number one. Like don't it's a rookie mistake.
1: I mean also trying to approach an island that's guarded by storms that single out ships and again giant stone knives sticking out of the water.
0: It's a little weird, yeah, yeah. The other, so the other one before we get onto the island uh, that I saw was that uh, this quote here says, the captain drew anticipation, Spren, as he waited, ribbons that waved in the wind, and Kaza could see the beast beyond, mm-hmm. the creatures that accompanied the Spren.
1: hmm What?
0: So is that sort of like, is that sort of like being able to see, like Shallan being able to see uh, the cryptics? Yeah. Okay, all right, so.
1: And Rock also can see the full sprint, you know?
0: Okay, so that's what they mean by the beast beyond. Okay.
1: Right, it looks like Kaza is able to see the cognitive realm because it says, mm. you know, she's talking she about- She sees the
0: second sun. Yeah, and, she's
1: yeah. reaching the end of her lifespan and she knows because she sees the second sun and she sees the glass ocean. Yeah. So that's that's kind of signifies the end of a soulcaster's life. So we know that badass. being able to claim the power of a soul caster without a spren bond is no bueno.
0: <laughs> ah, a voice said from behind her. I should have guessed the drug would not affect you as quickly. You are barely human anymore. Kaza rolled over and found someone approaching on quiet, bare feet. The cook. Yes, that was her. The one with the tattooed face. See, I told you.
1: <laughs>
0: it's not good, man. <laughs>
1: She also tells Kaza as she dies that if anyone discovers the secrets of the island, the cost would be the end of worlds. And she also refuses to even tell her anything as she's dying because she says someone could torture your soul for this information. And if anyone discovers the secret of this island, the cost will be the end of worlds.
0: Which is what, which is what makes what happens at the end of the chapter so interesting, because what happens, and I had to read this like four times. Right. What happens at the end of the chapter is as she's dying, uh, the cook tries to reach out to grab Kaza's soul caster. Mm-hmm. And Kaza's last act uh, in defiance is to reach down and turn the ground beneath her into smoke. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? Like, is it everything? Every, the entire island, like
1: no, because we saw her unable to. So that the island has these stone knives coming out, and the the captain asks, "Can you can you dissolve them?" And she says, "No, I could dissolve part of one." Okay. So it would take more than one soulcaster to to do the entire. Like she was saying, it would take two or three soulcasters to even make one of those knives Mm, so she's not able to but she probably the ground underneath her and i think what's significant is that she then turns herself into smoke like that's how she chooses to go out yeah um is that she she allows her because every time we see her soul cast into smoke she's tempted to just turn into smoke herself and just find that freedom become one with the air so that's how she chooses to go out
0: everybody is a gangster Everybody's a hard ass until the bugs start crawling on you and you got to turn yourself into smoke.
1: Right. Interlude five is called Teravangian. Teravangian is having a smart day. He's also a major dick. Go figure. That's it. That's the chapter. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So we see Teravangian on a smart day, smart enough that he is over the danger line, to where he shouldn't be interacting with people, and also smart enough to alter the diagram and find some new connections. But we see him; we've seen him so far on on his stupider days, where he's very compassionate, mm-hmm. and on his moderately smart days, where he's kind of in the middle, which is, seems to be where he is most of the time.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, my only my only notes about this are: first, I, th- I think it's interesting that sort of in in this depiction uh, genius equals manic now i i sort of understand that what where this is coming from is Taravangian trying to use the time as best he can but it but it's sort of an interesting thing of like in his genius mode he is uber manic
1: well and that's his whole deal and it's such a cool commentary on what we value as humans and he talks about raw intelligence being the only thing that man should worship, and we do in our society and in every society put so much emphasis and on the importance of being intelligent. Where Taravangian is now a character who either has extreme intelligence or extreme empathy, mm-hmm. and he thinks of his intelligent self as his real self. He puts no value on the empathy he has when he is of low intelligence when he went to the Night Watcher and asked for the capacity to save humanity and he came up with this condition, in his mind, the capacity means intelligence. That when he's smart, he's gonna be able to figure out a way to save humanity. Mm -hmm. And there's so many important things about this. First off, one of the things that he asks for is he wants a copy of the surgeon's words upon his birth. And... What those words are, we find out at the end, are the surgeon told his mother that because the cord was wrapped around his neck and he had to be delivered via C-section, that he would likely uh, suffer diminished capacity. Now, that didn't actually happen, but because of those words, he was always painted as one who was less intelligent. And that really probably shaped who he was and his expectations and the emphasis that he placed on intelligence. I mean I think that that's going to be important later on in that w- was the capacity to save humankind actually his intelligence or was it his empathy that are going to be needed.
0: Now you're getting right into the prediction section. Oh, I'm
1: sorry. I'm sorry.
0: The um the other note I have is that and it and it relates to this the diagram you know was created during one of these sort of manic genius phases, right? right. When he's at a level of intelligence that also makes him positively sociopathic. Right. And the stated purpose was to save as much of humanity from odium as possible. Yes. So theoretically, a noble goal. But we know that this is the part of him that has no empathy. So how do we trust Anything that the diagram says Mm -hmm. in terms of saving anything because it was designed by Taravangian when he is his most sociopathic.
1: And I think that's such an important point because he talks at the very end about, you know, and his. His keeper who is there, who now he's like, this this dumbass is asking the the questions that are the stand-in for the audience, you know, yeah, which yeah, is, yeah. but can't we just defeat Odium? And he says, No, you asshole. I figured out when I made the diagram that there was no way to defeat Odium. So the only thing we can do is to save the world, well, the part of the world that matters, and be able to, and he says that. What the capacity that he was given was the capacity to save what he can and abandon the rest. So that loss of empathy is giving him the ability to say, I'm just going to save these people and I'm not even going to blink or worry about the rest of the world. Yeah. But just the sheer, you know, when we're, the contrast between the character that we're introduced to in the hospital, you know, and the way he is, um, when Yasna saves his granddaughter and he's visiting Shallan versus this character who he he gets out of bed and he's he bowls over a nameless servant. First thing mm-hmm. he does, shoves him out of the way, sits down, takes the test. He manipulates the test, which is given to if he completes the whole test, he's not allowed to interact with people and we see why. And he deliberately misses the last question so that he won't be given any restrictions. Mm-hmm. But thankfully his his um the people who has in charge of him have figured that out because (laughs) and then he you just see him he's he's flicking ink at people because he's frustrated with them and and he he asks for a choir of children to be singing outside of his door and then they annoy him and he goes out and orders them all to be killed you know yeah like really horrible horrible stuff but and i think it's important to note that not only does Taravangian's smart self think of him as this is the real me but in his less intelligent selves also think of him that way. You know, he, he, when he wakes up with less intelligence, he doesn't say, oh, well, I'm waking up with more empathy. It's not a balance for him. It's, oh, I'm waking up without, you know, my, my true capacity. Yeah. I also noted that he talks about the dust bringers and that he's got this dust bringer mulatta as sort of his radiant in residence. Mm-hmm. And that the diagram had predicted that the Dustbringers would be the Radiants most likely to join their cause. Which is pretty much all we know about this order. Yeah. But for me, this is a very striking interlude. And all of that, is just the most fascinating character for me. Uh,
0: I, I would agree. He's definitely the most interesting character in the books.
1: Interlude six is called, This One is Mine. Venli is called to appear before Ulim and the ancient gods with the promise of something special. Turns out their surprise is that they get to be possessed by the spirits of their ancestors. Yay!
0: Line up for the possession, children. <laughs> Line up, face east.
1: Venli is protected by a strange spren, but her friend Demid is lost. So we've seen the fused, and we we know that they are the the spirits of ancestors who have come, you know, in, into, these bodies. And we know all of that process, but now we actually watch as Venley, who was the, the forerunner of this entire thing. Mm-hmm. Watch as she experiences and finds out what she's really opened her people up to.
0: And it's, um, you know, this is like that ceremony that mm-hmm. Lesh we talked about where right. a volunteer gave their body. And what I find so fascinating about that now that I sort of know and kind of can close the loop and see that whole process is Moash points out that the particular body that she's in is one that has a pattern, a skin pattern of all three colors, Mm -hmm. and that he's observed that that's very rare, and we know from Relaine's chapters that... The skin patterns are important and they mean something of social Mm -hmm. standing. And so Leshwe is like, this is one who volunteered to give me their body. Mm -hmm. And now we know that that's not true, which makes that even more shallow now. Because what it means (laughs) is that they went and they found like just the most attractive one that they could find and said, oh, you... (laughs) You volunteer as tribute. You volunteer as tribute because we like the way you look. We like it so much, we're going to give it to somebody else.
1: <laughs> I mean, if you had the ability to come back and possess a living body, would you possess Christy Turlington? I mean, or would you just pick some Yahoo? Like,
0: I don't know who Christy Turlington is, but but probably. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just saying, you'd pick someone with nice boobs.
0: Oh, oh yeah. I, I'd, I think I'd pick somebody who was still hot when they were like 75. Yeah. Right? I mean.
1: So you go Helen Mirren.
0: Or um, was it Christy Brinkley or? I don't know. One of those ones that, you I know. I don't think
1: she's 75 yet. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Christy Brinkley. <laughs> <laughs> You're out, Brinkley. That's the, Back
0: of the bus. That might
1: be the worst celebrity diss we've ever had
0: it's ridiculous
1: isn't she like 80
0: i have no idea what do i know
1: so venley goes through this process and first
0: by the way that's the that's the whole theme of this podcast (laughs) what what the hell do i know (laughs) why why is anybody listening to me
1: (laughs) so venley we find out she was kind of drawn into all of this by this spren called ulim who is the the forerunner of the the fused she comes out she's all excited she's going to get this new form of power but when she the the storm actually hits her she is assaulted by this very painful kind of evil voice saying, let me in, you know? Mm-hmm. And then she is protected by a warm voice that's ancient, paternal, kindly, and enveloping. And so she accepts that spren. Um that that voice tells the the fuse that is trying to possess her, this one's mine. Mm-hmm. So then this is kind of and then she When she comes to, she's got this new form that's similar to nimble form, but it's a new form of power. Mm -hmm. We don't know what her abilities are. That's just kind of the the summation. And then she comes to realize that her fellows are not her fellows anymore.
0: Yeah, they accepted whatever evil spirit came through and as a result lost themselves.
1: Mm -hmm. So, but we find out through Ulam comes over and he's like, oh, no, (laughs) You're yeah. not supposed to still be you. Yeah, yeah. You're supposed to be dead. I'm sorry, all your friends are dead. Yeah. But don't piss them off because they will kill you. They'll eat you. But that she bonded with a lesser Void Spren.
0: Which is interesting because it's sort of, it sort of means that, you know, the listeners are able to have sort of their version of the Radiance.
1: Right. Well, and it's really that they were the originals who did this. Like, as part of their... Uh, they, we, You know, the listeners have gem hearts and changing their forms um, is part of their natural physiology.
0: Yeah, that was the other thing that was interesting here. I, I, You know, I was as I'm reading through this, I'm thinking, did I miss this along the way that they actually have gem hearts like chasm fiends and or is it? just now being revealed. I I feel like I must have missed it somewhere else along the way. It's been
1: hinted at, but it's been, this is where it's really explicitly stated that that's how that works.
0: And that's sort of interesting because if Voidspren can inhabit and take over Parshendi in part because they have gem hearts that allow them to sort of accept this, that also means that anything else with a gem heart could be taken over by Voidspren or I would assume that, which would mean we probably will see chasm fiends on the side of the Voidbringers.
1: We will see. So when Ulam comes over and talks to Venli, he says, what did you resist like your stupid sister? Pretty much. Mm -hmm. So we find out that that's why Venli was not fully transformed into uh, Eshenai. That's why Eshenai was not fully transformed into one of the fused... Uh, because she resisted. And we kind of saw that through Eshenai's point of view. Yeah. You know, that she she had this form of power, but she always kind of was struggling with it and going back and forth. And we also, at the end, see the little ball of light spren that Venley saw hovering around Eshenai's body. And then now she sees it again. And when she sees it, she somehow instinctively knows that if the others, the fused, see it, that they'll destroy it. So she hides it kind mm-hmm. of on instinct.
0: Well, I presume that's the sprint that she bonded.
1: So we've got Venley and we've got Moash; these two sort of uh, bad guy characters who seem to kind of will they or won't they go on this redemption arc? Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting. There's only
0: room for one of them. Right. The redemption bus is very small, <laughs> tiny. It's like a re- it's like a redemption beetle Prius C. <laughs>
1: But I I think it'll be neat to contrast and compare them as the the rest of the book unfolds.
0: Well, sort of interesting. I I kind of knew from the beginning that Moash was going to be one of those characters that was going to be a foil and was going to be around for a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I did not expect that of Venley. Mm -hmm. I thought Venley would kind of be a throwaway character when Mm -hmm. we first met Venley. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's interesting that you know, on one hand, sort of what I thought would happen is being fulfilled in Moash. Mm-hmm. And on another hand, uh, you know, Fenley, who I thought was going to be just kind of a throwaway character, is actually getting uh, a lot of attention and pretty well fleshed out.
1: And Ashonai, who was a major point of view character, is gone. Gone. Yeah. Dead.
0: And cannot be brought back through active regrowth or odium himself.
1: Yes, that is explicitly stated. That one ain't coming back. Nope. So I thought we'd, again, go over chapters 58 and 59 at the same time because they are one arc.
0: 58 is like three paragraphs long.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah.
0: It, it's really short.
1: So in chapters 58, which is called Burdens, and 59, which is called Bondsmith, Dalinar heads out to meet with Queen Fen in Thalen City. He's shocked by the devastation caused by the Everstorm there. Queen Fen gives Dalinar a tour of her ruined city. The politics surrounding her decision to accept aid from Dalinar are complicated, and for some reason, Dalinar thinks that having a duel with the queen's son is a good idea. But he lets the boy stab him in the chest and then heals himself with Stormlight. I mean, that's a great party trick. (laughs) No judgment. Even better is discovering that he has the power to fix inanimate objects, which comes in pretty handy in a city that's been all busted up. Faux show So first we have to talk about as they're as they're traveling to Thalen City, he's like, Oh, by the way, Kaladin, you're a bright lord.
0: Yeah. <laughs> by the of way of like
1: seven villages.
0: I'm giving you this small backwater chunk of land. Um, if we survive, you're gonna need to take care of it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and Kaladin's like, bah, bah, bah.
0: I never asked for this. Lots of descriptions about how we move both gates around, but uh, the, really right. the only interesting thing, other than the the Caladan stuff in chapter fifty-eight, to me is that we see again the the late the uh, Mulata, the Radiant, right? Who we you know we know her friend right. now is going to be spying on uh, Dalinar, so it'll be interesting to see if we can tell if anything happens from that.
1: Right, and also, and we didn't really talk about this in the Taravangian. Uh, Interlude. However, we found out there is that Taravangian has switched his tactics uh, concerning Dalinar Mm -hmm. from trying to, and, you know, initially the diagram was trying to kill him because they saw him as a rival to Taravangian being able to take over the world. And and we also found out in that interlude that Taravangian's end game is to uh, getting himself into the supreme position of power where he can speak for the entire world. And then using that to negotiate with Odium to save his people.
0: But and he's not Odium the bondsmith. Run.
1: And he doesn't know that. So, but that that's just very telling as to that's yeah, yeah. Teravangian's endgame. Yep. Yep. Not yep, to yep. defeat Odium, but to basically throw the rest of the world at him. Yeah. In return for leaving his people alone. So now we see it as now that Things have changed surrounding Dalinar. He's no longer trying to eliminate him. He's going to support him until he becomes the leader mm-hmm. of the world. And then he's going to convince him to step down through manipulation. So we see him supporting Dalinar in this visit to Queen Fen.
0: It's a lot of supposition here.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Dalinar shows up and, and right away, Taravangian says, well, let me send people to help. And Dalinar's like, oh, why didn't I think of that?
0: But it is interesting in this chapter. I mean, this is a really interesting chapter and a good place to end this section. But it, this chapter in particular begins with Taravangian in his empathetic state, mm-hmm. modeling mm-hmm. the behavior that Dalinar should have been betraying all along. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's, it is how so striking how Taravangian and everyone around him doesn't see the value in his, his empathy. Yeah, but yet, that is what ultimately ends up, you know, turning people towards him. Mm -hmm. The duel was pretty cool.
0: The duel, you know, was cool.
1: First reading that, you're like, "What the f are you doing, Dalinar?" Like, like I really want to win these people over. I'm gonna just, I'm gonna get into a fight with the queen's son, (laughs) like.
0: I regret only, the man snapped, that I did not speak loudly enough for you to hear the insults, despot. <laughs> Dalinar sighed loudly, then began unbuttoning his uniform jacket, leaving himself in the snug undershirt. No shods, the young man said. Penis measuring. <laughs> As you wish.
1: <laughs> so yeah, Dalinar uh, provokes the sun into... Uh, asking for a duel.
0: And then has the arrogance to be like, if you insist. <laughs> <laughs> like He de- deliberately manipulates the fight and then acts all, uh, I didn't want it to come to this.
1: And the whole time you're like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, but yeah. But then he, he, it's kind of smart. He says, well, you know, we're going to do this, this format where it's, you get a turn with a weapon against me for three minutes and then I get a turn. Yeah. And the son is like, well, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Nobody actually does that in duels. And then we realize how smart it is because Dalinar deliberately impales himself on this kid's sword in the chest and then is able to demonstrate his amazing healing abilities. Well, Like, all, and, y'all and, don't even know what you're dealing with.
0: Well, and what is interesting and what I like so much about this chapter is you think that's the reveal. You right. think that's the character development for Dalinar. Right. That he essentially sort of messiahs himself for you mm-hmm. know sacrifices himself. Not mm-hmm. really, obviously. You know, impale allows himself to be impaled, heals from it, and then turns and looks at the kid and says, "I, I didn't come here to destroy you." Right. It, you know, and what he doesn't say, but what is implied, and Dalinar recognizes later is implied. Is I could destroy you all if I wanted to.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: You know? It he thinks he's doing the right thing, and it is, it is very smart, I would I would agree, but he thinks he's doing the right thing and demonstrating some sort of compassion and mm-hmm. you know, um, but what he's really doing is having just a very high level super sophisticated dig <laughs> measuring contest. <Right. laughs> I mean, of the most sophisticated kind.
1: (laughs) And if you look at this move and this moment in the context of all we've seen in the flashbacks of Dalinar as the Blackthorn, who is the master at intimidation, the master at just absolutely dominating an enemy, and we see such an important turning point then for this character as he recognizes that even in this very kind of, passive aggressive way he's still being that person and he reaches a turning point where he realizes that's not who he wants to be and when he does that he then discovers kind of the next stage of his powers and that he is able to unite the stones of this broken temple
0: yeah and he's always sort of wanted to move away from that I am the blackthorn image but just hasn't known how to do it and I liked how he sort of categorizes and goes through all the stupid things he's done even recently mm-hmm. you know making you know teleb, I think it was mm-hmm. uh, wrestle him and, yeah. and like it's like why why are you being this way you're you're just the oldest guy at the frat right like w- <laughs> when we were in college and we had those guys who hung around we called them residue because you just <laughs> couldn't get rid of him, like just go away, like, you know. And that's that's what he's being, you know. And and he he sort of finally, uh, you know, it's like he can't help himself, mm-hmm. you know. And he sort of he he wants to move away from, it, but he doesn't know how to mm-hmm. move away from it. And he sort of finally found and realized a way to do it. And again, as we've seen in this book, it's when characters sort of have personal growth that their powers grow. We sort of see him kind of make that leap to the next stage, mm-hmm. which I thought was good and interesting because it's, it's different than how we've seen it with Kaladin, where it's about bonds, mm-hmm. you know, different than what we've seen uh, with Shalon. But I, I, I almost put Shalon in a separate category. I didn't even really think much about kind of her progression. Um, but I see here in Dalinar that it is about him sort of having this this personal moment and this understanding of how he can use it, um, where the growth comes from. So it's they're not all; it's not the same mechanism that all of the different radiants grow by.
1: Yes, and it's it definitely piques your interest and is seeing where are Dalinar's powers going to go from here. He it mentions at some point that he um, he's looking at t- listening to people who are speaking another language and that he can almost feel like he understands what they're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of an interesting mm-hmm. hint. And uh, just the, the fact that he's he's bonded, the Stormfather himself kind of tells you he's probably got some w- a ways to go from here.
0: I would imagine, yeah. Well, because to this point, we've not really seen, other than him being able to channel Stormlight, we haven't right. really seen right. anything from him.
1: Right. And then he also... Brings in Renarin, who he's he thinks to himself, this is the first thing I should have done. You know, he brings Renarin in to start healing people. And that really is what wins over Queen Fen. Queen Fen comes back and she sees that, you know, Dalinar's fixing up her broken city, and Renarin is there healing her people. That definitely brings her over to his side, and she offers to help him to kind of win over the Azish as well, which would be the last. That's the Major last power, yeah. A- empire that, that mm-hmm. has yet to join him.
0: There are a couple of smaller points. I mean, that we've kind of tackled the big, big monumental parts of this, right. of this chapter. And, and really, uh, for the first two chapters in, an, in a new part, I think a pretty impressive way to begin. Right. Uh, but there were a couple of small but I think important things that, uh, that we didn't address. So the first is, there's a conversation about glyph wards. Mm-hmm. And the conversation talks about how, how, the you know, they burned all these prayers. You know, down in our notes, we burned all these prayers to a God who was no longer there. And then he, he asks, or is someone else receiving them? Mm. You know, and it's sort of interesting. That's a good point. Yeah. Nice catch. Because we've noted, although the correlation is not super strong, we have noted that when there have been some significant moments— where people have made big developments, you know, in the fighting pits with uh, Renarn and Adolin and Mm -hmm. Kaladin, you know, the big moment at the end of of book one where Dalinar, you know, gives Oathbringer over there. There have been glyph wards and burning glyphs Mm -hmm. have been a big theme there. Mm -hmm. So we do believe that there's something that happens when Mm -hmm. that happens, but again, who is the one receiving these prayers. We get the sense, and I'm starting to get the sense of there's, you know, there's multiple levels of these sort of deities in greater lives, but we don't really know how any of that works or who is involved or 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 if it even works at all. So that's the first sort of small note. The second small note is they're walking through some of the different temples and uh, they walk past all these statues and several of the faces have been broken off. And Dalinar says, how did the storm get to him in here? But it wasn't mm-hmm. the storm. It was the mistress. It was a mistress. That, uh, the the one female herald that I know of. that Shalash. We've, Shalash that we've seen. Also, they see they come by a statue or a temple of Talanat or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dalinar says, he was the one who was abandoned. And we know that. Right. And then he makes this comment the one I lost. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean?
1: Um, it means he, he knows that he was the madman that he had. Oh, okay. And then he- Oh, that's what he was- Literally about. lost him. Oh, okay. Like just misplaced. I misplaced that, Harold.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what pocket did I put him in? I don't know. Okay, gotcha.
1: That's it. That is it. Covered that section.
0: We did. And again, next time, chapter 60 through 66. Yep. Are you ready to talk about some listener interactions? So we put out these questions on Facebook and on Twitter where we ask people to to drop us a line and ask whatever questions they have for this particular episode. So we got a couple of responses on Twitter. First is from Zendrex, who is at Jess Zendrex. That's J-E-S-S-Z-E-N-D-R-E-X on Twitter, and she says, Do you think you'll be able to get back to a more regular schedule after the holidays? I can definitely understand if life's getting in the way, but I'm impatient to hear Chad's reactions to a bunch of stuff later in the book. Thank you very much for that comment. I would love to claim that we will get to a more regular schedule. We have thought we will get to a more regular schedule uh, for the last several weeks, but uh, we are just in a place with our life and our parenting and things of that nature where it's very, very difficult Uh, For us to be able to put the time in to record and we've made a decision uh, that it's more important for us uh, not only from a life perspective, but also I think for the podcast itself that we want to make sure we're putting out a quality product over time as opposed to rushing to get more episodes out that may not be as good.
1: Yeah, that's a, is that a fair statement? I or? think that's a fair statement. However, we, we definitely, our ultimate goal is to be able to be releasing a podcast every other week. And we, we have steps in place to make that happen. If our kids could stop coming down with stomach bugs and other various things, that would be super helpful. So...
0: joining three sports at once.
1: Send all the vitamin C our way. <laughs>
0: yeah. Also, if you want to, you know, maybe we could put something on Patreon for somebody to pay our Uber bill? (laughs) Oh, God. We could just Uber them all around? totally
1: side note, but someone needs to, I am serious, I tell people this all the time, somebody needs to start a business called Nanny Uber. I think they have.
0: What? In cities, in like New York and places like that.
1: Well, that needs to come to the suburbs because you would clean (laughs) up out here. Us sports moms are dying. (laughs)
0: we put on a lot of miles in 2019 uh,
1: but but really to, to respond to that comment i would say um our listeners just blow me away and how everyone sticks with us and and wants to keep hearing us we have so much fun doing this podcast um it's it's definitely been been a lifeline and so many people when they get to the season that we're in i think completely lose themselves in their own interests and i just yeah for me uh love doing this podcast so much and i'm so grateful to to the people that stick with us that uh, are are in this
0: with us yeah i think what we certainly can commit to is that we're not going to stop
1: yes absolutely
0: so uh, we can't commit we can't commit uh, at this point to, to putting out with more regularity we hope that we can and we hope we get uh to a point in our lives where we can put it out with more regularity but we ain't Going nowhere. <laughs> so uh Daniel Wilson asks, and Daniel is at uh Cant or Valid Name, Cantor Valid Name, uh, forgive me. It's C-A-N-T-O-R-V-A-L-I-D-N-A-M-E on Twitter. He says, Dalinar Colon, Bond Smith of the Stormfather, Hi King of Eurothuru, and the best hurricane Katrina relief effort. <laughs> What do you think of his newfound ability to rebuild temples and cities with his bare hands? Will he unlock Euraetheru's deep secrets? So, I think the first part of that question—you know, what do we think about it—I think we've we've covered pretty well. Uh, but I didn't really think about how it may come to play inside of thero itself, because as we know, there are things in thero that have not that are sort of wrong, you know, are there areas that he can repair or put back together to be able to make the tower work better? I don't know. That's interesting. I hadn't really put a lot of thought into that. I'm trying to, th- to rack my head uh, and think about, are there places that are destroyed at the sort of foundational stone level. We know that mm-hmm. like libraries have rotted away. Right. And we know that um, there's that sort of slagged, melted um, gemstone column type thing. But I can't think of where there's like rooms that have like collapsed in on themselves mm-hmm. or hallways that have collapsed in. I haven't, I don't recall seeing anything like that. So I'm not sure how much this will actually come to play.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But interesting.
1: Good Question. Question. On Facebook, Eric Allgaier says, Do your listeners realize they should be shopping at Tee Public for all their Christmas D&D swag? Do they know their Cyber Monday sale has been extended and they can get up to 35% off store-wide? Do they?
0: Do they know?
1: The website is uh, teepublic.com slash user slash the Duke and Duchess. So check it out, people. You can get tees, you can get mugs, tote bags, all kinds of weird stuff with the D and D logo on it.
0: I mean, I got a, I got a iPhone cover.
1: Nice, you did.
0: By the way, I encourage it. Although I have to say, a little slippy. You may want
1: to put. Oh, the, the iPhone the cover. The <laughs> the iPhone yeah, yeah, cover.
0: yeah. You may want to put something on it.
1: Theo Graham Brown says, "Oh Lord." He says, "I've got into the unknown from Frozen Two in my head. What song do you have stuck in yours?" <laughs>
0: Um, I haven't seen... The, oh, how have we avoided Frozen 2?
1: Uh, we have
0: we, three girls.
1: We So, Stomach Bug and other... We've kept them very busy. It's going to happen, though. So, we put up our Christmas tree last night. Yes. And So, um, what song do
0: you have stuck in your head?
1: Feed the That's, world. Let, let them know it's great. Yes, exactly.
0: That's exactly the (laughs) one that I have stuck in my head, except in key.
1: (laughs) Theo also says, as a preview to my question directly next, the snapters slash epigram chat was had here. And there is a link. We have. Oh, uh, goodness. Theo. um,
0: It appears that there's been a lot of side.
1: A lot of side conversation
0: that we have not kept up on.
1: Yes, and, and Oh, again. Lord,
0: I just opened it. It's massive.
1: Yes, there are a lot. Guys, if you're not on the Facebook <laughs> oh, group wow. page, definitely join it. There's a lot of interesting chatting going on here. Um, but Theo has posted uh, the text of the epigrams, the snapters, and then lots of conversation about it. But he asks, um, regarding what we have now, the five letters spread out over three books, here's something I think is interesting. Um, letter four feels like a reply to letter two. It seems to continue on from letter two's mention of Adonalasium. Letter two seems like it followed letter one. However, letter three seems different in a major respect. Letter one says he holds the most frightening and terrible of all the shards, making the shards objects these characters have. But letter three states, no good can come of two shards settling in one location. It was agreed. We would not interfere with one another which very much implies the people in the letter are themselves shards, that if they are objects, they have autonomy and personality, but the nature of the setup of this block of letters feels to me like they're supposed to be from the same source. So anyway... um,
0: There's, I mean, there's a lot of work that has gone into this sort of sub-thread that's being discussed here, Mm -hmm. where they've sort of, you know, put it together, tried Mm -hmm. to kind of put together a... Um, a chronology of it and numbered then this is letter one, this is letter three, and this Mm -hmm. relates to this and this. And it's my opinion that I don't think we're gonna be able to do this justice in this episode until we kind of go back and catch ourselves up.
1: Yes, I would say, um, I think what what we're asking for is your reactions to the letters. And I think that um, next episode, we will definitely make a point of, Reading all of those and having some time where we get into those. And, and we'll let you get your notes together on those letters.
0: Yeah, because I, I don't think I can really address these with any degree of intelligence at this point.
1: And, and in particular, when we get to the end of Oathbringer, we will be at the point where uh, we are caught up as far as, and you'll get to hear my speculation nice. on the letters, which I have many Many thoughts and theories.
0: Because we we're getting to the point soon where there we're no, no longer in spoiler territory.
1: Indeed.
0: Which is always fun. So Derek Pittman says, and this is really the important questions. <laughs> is a hamburger a sandwich? Is a hot dog a sandwich? See, chicken biscuits. Is a chicken biscuit a sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> is is cereal a cold breakfast soup? Is chili a soup or a stew? Or is a hot dog Really just a lame taco.
1: Not besmirch the hot dog. I mean. The the pinnacles of human food is the hot dog.
0: I put it right up there with tacos. With yellow mustard. Get the hell out of my house. (laughs) We were having such a nice podcast. Eric Chaffa says, how convincing was the I'm not the bad guy here, speech from Odium to you, assuming, which I am, that he's not lying. Also, does that mean that uh, Thalena actually worships Odium, i.e. the passions unknowing?
1: Oh, snap. Snap. Right? That is a really good point.
0: So it's curious uh, to read through all the stuff from Odium, and this is a really great question, because on one hand... No, I don't buy the I'm not the bad guy here speech at all, right? Simply because Max von Sydow with his short beard in a white robe and a gold scepter is clearly the bad guy. (laughs) On the other hand, you know, the nature of it that like honor is the, you know, is the importance of bonds and cultivation is the importance of growth and odium is passions. That means lust and joy Mm -hmm. and hatred, all rolled up into one. You know, it's not as though he is the personification of evil and only evil. He clearly has some positive attributes as well. So it, it does sort of throw a lot of that into the mix, you know, and could the, could the society exist? I mean, imagine the world where the only thing are, you know, like he points out nail, the judge, the, the, the herald that's running around just killing people on the basis of whether or not they break a law, mm-hmm. whether that law is murder or not stopping at a stop sign. Mm-hmm. Is that how you want your society to be run? You know, so it, it's a it's a compelling question.
1: Brian McClure says, I meant to ask this last time. I've recently discovered that due to their brief interaction, there is a minority but very vocal minority of Brandon Sanderson fans that ship Kaladin with Yasna. There is an equally vocal minority boo. of Brandon Sanderson fans
0: that boo. hate this
1: idea. I'm curious which camp <laughs> you guys fall into. Okay, there you go. Boo, <laughs> boo, That's,
0: boo. That's
1: definitely I am listen, thumbs down to Caledon and yes yeah, I, I gonna,
0: mean, it might look good sketched out on a on a on a wall somewhere as a
1: right, right.
0: You know, painting, but uh, but no. Boom. Yeah, Boo. I, I,
1: Boo. Rom-com culture sets us up to kind of want that because they do butt heads. But sometimes an asshole is just an asshole. It's not necessarily going to turn into romantic feelings. Sometimes you just don't like someone. And I think it is that toxic sort of seed of an idea that has so many of us in our 20s, Ooh. sorry, total sidebar, but chasing after people that are just dicks. Like, because obviously he's a dick, but if I just, you know, have enough love in my heart, he'll eventually be nice to
0: me. Also, I think Yasna would eat him for breakfast. She
1: totally would. He's he's a hot mess. It would be a disaster. We've
0: given that all the attention it deserves. <laughs>
1: Brian McClure then says, were you surprised to see Odium as an actual character and not just the force of evil in this book?
0: Yeah, 100%. Foley did not expect that.
1: And what do you think are the fused plans for Moash?
0: Man, I don't know. Um, I kind of wonder how much they even have an active plan for him, or as much as, Mm -hmm. like, I I almost feel like they're like, look at that fish in that bowl. Right. Don't mess with my fish. Uh I want to watch this fish. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that they even have specific plans but i don't know we'll see
1: uh, so then there's another long thread where people are discussing the letters yeah, we'll, and the we'll snap come back to that. i promise we will talk about those on the next episode uh lots of questions about the letters back and forth you get on the facebook group page if you want to get in on these conversations yeah. uh okay then who or what was the voice that venly heard in the everstorm the voice seemed genuinely surprised and shocked um, why do you think the voice was somehow connected to her not becoming a fused? Um, if so, what was its goal?
0: I mean, I think we've covered that. We think it's yeah. this uh that that has been following that initially started following Esh and I around. Right. Brian also asked, "How will Taravangian save whatever he can?" And again, I think we've we've addressed that uh, mm-hmm. by selling out nine out of ten Rosharans.
1: Indeed. Yes. Oh, favorite quote. Do you have a favorite quote?
0: Because you're a bitch. Get me a donut.
1: (laughs) That's my favorite quote,
0: too. Oh, from the reading. Sorry, (laughs) that's no, sorry. That's different. That's different. Uh, Brian says, uh, and now we move on to that hard-hitting podcast journalism. From one to 10, how do you rate this year's Thanksgiving? Uh, What was your favorite Thanksgiving food from this year? I mean, for me, it was sweet potato casserole.
1: Mmm. That is a good question. I would say... That this year's Thanksgiving was a solid eight and a half, and um, the best food was—I mean, I dug the turkey this year. It was good.
0: I mean, from a food perspective, this Thanksgiving was a was a, a ten and a half. Mm-hmm. It was phenomenal. Listen, I, I've known uh, when I was a child, I didn't I didn't you know know what I was getting into when I. I started consuming the sweet potato casserole. (laughs) I didn't realize, you know, that some, everybody in a family needs somebody who can just pound that sweet potato casserole. (laughs) And and over times I, I've become more potato casserole and I have a gooey marshmallow heart. And, um, you know, I I know that eventually I will become potato casserole entirely, but I'm hoping (laughs) that I can find the secret, uh, the cure to diabetes somewhere on the island of Annika
1: <laughs> Sam Denberg says what kind of information is encoded into the gems?
0: still a sore spot for me um, I think it's the, I think it's that um damn it <laughs> what I want to say is is i I can't even say it on the podcast. <laughs> Jeez. I want to save it for the other podcast.
1: Jeez. Wow. Well, we do get uh, a little hint of that. The Snapters of the next section have little snippets of those.
0: Oh, mm-hmm. Snapters! I don't, I have to start reading those.
1: We will, we definitely will have Snapter discussion next podcast. Um, he says, Sam Denberg says, why are the sleepless guarding the island?
0: So again, the bug, the bug people. Yes. The EMEA. I have I'm gonna save that for predictions.
1: Okay. What kind of peacetime lord do you think Kaladin would be?
0: Uh well I think he will be okay. Um I think now he's still a little angsty and he needs to go out and mm-hmm. figure some stuff out. But I think by the time we, you know, we get back and we come to our cleansing of the Shire moment several exactly. books from now, I think Kaladin will be fine.
1: Well, and seeing him step into that bright lord role when so much of his early years he was fixated on the Bright Lord that ruined his life and ruined his family Mm -hmm. and actually having to then be that person I think will be a very uh, important and relevant step for his character he says once the soul grows accustomed to the wound it's much harder to fix uh, that was such a profound statement, in my opinion. Agreed. And he, as Sam Denberg says, which I, I agree with this, how do you think this statement applies to things like the Lopin's arm growing back, most of Bridge Wars' brands going away, but the, not their tattoos?
0: Well, I think it's sort of interesting, you know, because we've seen so so many cases of things like that in this book, of people growing back arms and mm-hmm. legs and things that have, you know, Kaladin having his arm cut away uh, by a shard blade and turning gray, but able to like you know, go-go gadget arm is his blood back into it and and bringing it back to life. I I don't think there's anybody who, you know, would lose an arm or, I'm saying this from a complete place of ignorance, so so somebody tell me I'm wrong, but Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anybody who, you know, is a paraplegic or anybody like that who wouldn't happily turn back and erase that injury. Mm Mm-hmm. So that to me doesn't seem like a statement that makes as much sense on a physical level. Mm-hmm. But I think it's completely different when you start talking about spiritual psychological scars and psychological damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot harder for somebody to simply say, I would take this away or I would erase this or remove this because it sort of makes you who you are. And so, and there I think the statement does apply mm-hmm. Whereas I think If you know If if you give me a crutch And tell me I have to walk around With one leg mm-hmm. For the rest of my life I'm not having any problem mm-hmm. Turning back the, t- back the time On that wound
1: Right Brian Kemper says Do you think that Odium's attempts To rationalize his actions Or improve his image Are severely undercut By the fact that He goes by the name Odium
0: It's, it's a hindrance <laughs> I
1: mean I'm just saying
0: Yeah It, it doesn't It doesn't help
1: <laughs> My name but, is Batty McBatterson <laughs> But I'm not a bad guy.
0: But uh, sit down on my couch and tell me about your past life. (laughs) I'm here to help.
1: Uh, Theo Graham Brown says, Odium Fantasy Casting, Mm -hmm. which we've already
0: gotten yours. Max von Sydow.
1: I personally... Cleavon
0: Little as Relaine.
1: I would love to see Odium played by Jeff Bridges in the persona
0: of the dude. (laughs) Hey, man, there's no hatred going on here, man. She's not cultivation. <laughs> She's just my special lady friend.
1: Uh, Brian McClure asks, which we've kind of already answered, are you glad to see Odium make an appearance or would you have preferred him to stay inhuman and mysterious like what? the dark one from Wheel of Time?
0: Well, I don't know. Well, we haven't asked that particular question. So, uh, it, hmm. you know, we can't can't go back and erase, you know, what we already know. I definitely, I definitely enjoyed getting a chance to sort of confront Odium and see Odium sort of in that form. But I, I want to say I would have preferred it if it had stayed sort of a faceless force. hmm But I can't turn my back on having sort of enjoyed mm-hmm. that experience and that chapter.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and it definitely turns the, a convention a little bit on its head in terms does, of what yeah. you expect in this genre and this this idea of a big bad evil then actually being a a a person, a personal character, and really very early in the series, what you were where you were expecting it to go. Now we don't really know where it's going to go.
0: Yeah, true. Yeah.
1: In the case of the Wheel of Time, and I hope this doesn't spoil anything, but the Dark One always kind of remains this. What you would very much expect a dark one to be, you know. Well,
0: and the same in Lord of the and uh, Lord of the Rings yes, as well. You know?
1: Yes. Uh, Eric Algeyer says, in case this is the last podcast before Christmas, I'd like to wish Happy Holidays to Chad, Liz, and the whole D and D family. Aw, very nice. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Uh, which brings me to this question: Let's say you were Santa and you realize that in the year twenty nineteen, coal is not eco friendly. What would you stuff in naughty children's stockings instead? Yellow mustard is off the table. <laughs>
0: Well, that's, you know, that's good. Uh, I'm going to say I would fill it with old floppy disks. <laughs> not not the five-inch ones, the three-and-a-half-inch hard drive disks, because I'm not a pervert.
1: <laughs> I would say bowls of my pumpkin chili, because that is the one substance that if I put on the table... It, what do you want for dinner? Not pumpkin chili. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Anything but that. I
1: think my pumpkin chili is pretty good, Probably but awesome. it has become... Uh, much like my mother when, and my mother's a wonderful cook, but when we were kids, this one time she tried to make lamb stew and she kind of burned it and it was really bad and we still, you know, 30 years later bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as bad as lamb stew and she's like, uh. So the pumpkin chili has become our our most despised
0: substance. How about, how about coiled up headphones <laughs> that don't work (laughs) the wrong adapter
1: true so much angst over (laughs) headphones in this house (sighs) y'all that (sighs) would
0: that would that would be it yeah so in case and i and i don't know i hope it's not the last one before uh before the holidays but in case it is uh the last episode before christmas merry christmas and happy holidays to everyone
1: and for your christmas gift here are chad's predictions
0: well first i want to um first we have a dear duchess oh sweet and i want to read uh some of our reviews we haven't read reviews in a while and we've kind of let them build up but
1: oh we have some reviews
0: oh we've got a ton that we haven't Love
1: reviews we have a
0: ton that we haven't read um so i'm gonna read some reviews and then we'll we'll do our our dear duchess it's a quick one gotcha uh so stitcher is not one we typically go and look at Um, because we are, you know, on Apple podcasts and that's sort of where I get my podcast. So Mm -hmm. I'm not on Stitcher myself. Mm -hmm. So I have to kind of go out of my way to look for it. But, but I want to come back and read some of these uh, and I'll, I'll get through them here fairly quick. Uh, Wist said "Uh, just found you I think I'll sit here I cannot boast a lot of friends who read books So thank you for the company five stars Nice And Jen says holy Taloo I love the Duke and Duchess podcast Liz and Chad take an organized often hilarious approach In their literary deep dives Their discussions are often engaging and thought provoking And they complement each other wonderfully Nice Uh, Raccoon Trash says amazing Insightful and hilarious Everything I've been looking for in a book podcast Thank you five stars and I love this one, fool of a Duke. <laughs> Says, the Duke and Duchess podcast, epic, full stop. I started listening, like many others, to hear more about the Kingkiller Chronicles and stayed for the lemon-scented boxes. Liz and Chad, <laughs> who is such a Chad, compliment each other amazingly and are rather hilarious to listen to at times. Chad's analysis is great and the predictions are better or worse. I'm only up to episode 67, but that's good. That means there's more to listen to yes don't hurry there's (laughs) there's no rush we're not going anywhere but uh you can catch up to us and it continues i would love to hear the duke and duchess analyze the first law trilogy Mm. that may be on the short list and the last one for today is Shy Dog, uh, Five Stars Excellent. I love this show. I've been trying to gather up good book podcasts, and this is my favorite so far. The husband and wife duo bounce off each other really well, bring up great discussion points for the books, and make me laugh on occasion. I recommend this for anyone, even if you haven't read the books they are covering. That's bold.
1: hmm That bold. warms the cockles of my heart.
0: It does. It does very much so. All right, and now uh, we have a very short. Uh, Do du- uh, excuse me, ask the Duchess email. All right, uh, from Brad Scaly. Will you go out with me? Circle yes or no.
1: <laughs> Sadly, Brad, I'm taken. Yeah. <laughs> Unless that was for the Duke. Oh no, it was for the Duchess.
0: All right. I presume it was for you. <laughs> it says, "Dear Duchess, will you go out with me? Circle yes or no." I mean. Clever, but go away. <laughs> All right, so these might be some of the more bat shit predictions. Yes. My first one I know now is wrong, but I'm going to say it anyway because wow, well, what the hell? So my first prediction is Renarin himself is a Spren.
1: Oh, okay. But now that is bat shit. All right, but
0: now I know there's another truth watcher out there with some sort of light reflection spread out okay. there. It's like oh now it just means when they said we couldn't find his spread they literally meant they just couldn't figure out what it was <laughs> not not that it's invisible. I thought he is the spread. <laughs> we're through the looking glass. No, that's not what it means. Uh, So my next one is each planet in the Cosmere has one or more gods, like the Odium, Honor, uh, and Cultivation, Rock, Paper, Scissor, Rosham, Bow that we have going on here in Roshar. (laughs) Roshar, Bow. Nice. Odium, Honor, Cultivation, shoot! (laughs) Odium, Honor, Cultivation, shoot! (laughs) Damn it. But Odium always wins. And each of these different... um, Gods define the planets themselves, its people and its powers. All right. So the gods are the shards.
1: I don't know if I should not. I mean, do you want me to?
0: No, I'm just uh, like, what are shards? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and like, odium, like at the Adonalsium, mm-hmm. there was some. Splitting of something that mm-hmm. broke these different broke into these different gods that are manifestations mm-hmm. of narrow aspects. They're the mm-hmm. shards, something splintered of something larger, because mm-hmm. they by themselves are not complete. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Y- yes, okay, you figured it out.
0: All right, the island mm-hmm. uh, that we talk about, Amia, mm-hmm. is the island that is mentioned in Witt's story to Kaladin. Oh, and not even so much this now here so here's here's the next one um and this I know I know is wrong but I'm saying it anyway. Emea is the source of the storms. it's the origin
1: hmm.
0: now the origin is supposed to be far to the east. Mm-hmm. this continent is far to the west, but come on, it's a big globe, mm-hmm. So they start there, and by the time they wrap around the continent, hmm. or the planet, they get, that's wrong, but I'm going with it. <laughs> All right, the island, uh, EMEA, or whichever one we went to, is where Odium is bound.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: Odium being the, being uh, one of the powers that powers most of the society through soul casting. So if Odium is destroyed, there goes soul casting. All right. And Teravangian will ultimately be a hero who finds a way to save millions, but it won't be when he's in his state of high intelligence sociopathy. It'll be when he's at his most empathetic mm-hmm. and he violates the diagram.
1: Hmm. I like that one.
0: Those are my predictions. I like them. Man, there's some dirty, dirty predictions in there. <laughs> Messy predictions. <laughs> All right, do you have anything else? I don't. I Thank don't. you, everybody. Thank you for hanging in there with us. I hope you enjoyed episode 109. We'll see you in episode 110. That's right. Where we will read chapter 60 through 66. You can find us on Twitter at the DND podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. Join our Facebook group page. That's where most of the interaction is happening. And find us on all the social medias just by searching for the Duke and Duchess podcast podcast. Thank you all. Happy holidays, and we'll see you soon. Good night. night.